medical department only two go to the bench and we are more than a dozen. We don't train, we only recover. That's a, that's a situation. Preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments. Today we're still outside Liverpool and we are going to the first part of the medical test. Welcome to this Football, Medicine and Performance podcast. I'm Andrew Shafiq, a senior editor at the FMPA and your host for today's podcast. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Stephen Reid. Stephen began his playing career at Millwall before a move to the Premier League with Blackburn Rovers. He then went on to play five more seasons in the Premier League with West Bromwich Albion and Burnley. Stephen's coaching career began at Reading with Steve Clark, helping them to a playoff final before moving on to Crystal Palace alongside Roy Hodgson. He then helped the Scotland national team to their first tournament in 22 years at the 2021 Euros. Stephen left his role to concentrate on club duties at Nottingham Forest, helping them return to the Premier League after 23 years. After promotion, Stephen decided to pursue a different career in well-being, confidence and leadership coaching alongside counselling studies. Today, we're going to discuss Stephen's journey, experiences, and find out a little bit more about his journey as a player, coach, and life after coaching. Welcome, Stephen. Evening. Good to see you, Andrew. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. So, that, I mean, that intro really, some career as a player and as a coach, and obviously life after, but it would be interesting just to start off by learning a bit about your journey as a player and some of the key challenges that you faced. Yeah, well, I started my... My, my playing career coming through the ranks at Millwall um, during that time, it was kind of a centre of excellence. And then you progressed into, into the YTS, you know, before the scholarships, you did your two-year YTS, but signed my first professional contract on my 17th birthday and pretty quickly, you know, there's a little group of us that broke into the first thing quite early. Um, had a lot of success at Millwall, obviously. We got a promotion and, and things progressed well and then it was that move to the you know the big move to the Premier League in 2003 so spent the re- remainder of my career in in Premier League football but as I'm sure we get to it's on the face of it you know success and the perception a lot of time is seeing all the trappings of what that looks like but it was a it was a real challenge for for many different reasons. Do you mind just touching on a few of those challenges or some of the kind of key ones that yourself and, uh, and I suppose players generally experience uh, in alongside their playing career? It started pretty early for me. I mean, even growing up, I was a little bit of a of, of a warrior, uh, slightly anxious probably as a as a kid growing up, and then being involved in the football environment, especially leaving school and then going straight into like a YTS scheme at at Millwall, I just felt different challenges in that, you know, obviously the dressing room banter and, you know, involved and playing with a lot of senior pros. Uh, I just felt a, felt a pressure. I felt that sort of anxiety. I felt, um, you know, that that's a sort of period where I was struggling to adjust to those pressures and dealing with playing in front of, you know, bigger crowds and the expectations. 
and all that goes with goes along with becoming a professional footballer and that became a little bit more of an issue when I basically when I, I signed my first professional contract and started playing first in football it stopped becoming purely a game that I loved and purely a game that was fun and enjoyable kind of with your mates it become really became really serious quite soon in my career it's really interesting to to hear you say that and I'm sure a lot of uh, players athletes of kind of all sports all resonate some of that will definitely resonate with them I mean, I suppose a quick question is, are some of the challenges different? I know you touched on this at different age groups. So coming through in the YTS, did you find that the challenge is quite different to when you were a senior pro? To be honest, when when I was playing as a schoolboy at, at Millwall, it was, it was just excitement. It was excitement and anticipation almost of getting that YTS. I was always one of the, I guess, better players at that time. So I kind of, in a confident kind of way back then expected to get a YTS um but even at that time I do remember the pressures were building around the YTS around who was going to get one who was going to get released because that is one of the first major steps in in any professional's career it's getting that scholarship it's getting that YTS contract because it then is effectively leaving the you know the structured school life I know there are other studies if you go into that scholarship program and, and YTS, I did a leisure and tourism uh, course when I was at Mill doing my YTS. But it was always around those times that a decision's being made that I, I really do remember those moments where players are starting to feel the pressure, starting to get anxious. You know, you see parents on the side that are perhaps having these discuss discussions on the sideline. And obviously we've seen in a few of the programs quite recently around academy football it seems to me that it's almost gone up to a another level and I think that's partly down to the the nature of the world we live in I think social media I think now we've got access to everyone's lives you can kind of see the trappings you can see what success brings to a lot of the footballers lives and celebrities and I think it's now become a it's become a, a different landscape because back then I had no idea whatsoever what was going on in in certainly other footballers' lives. It was just your own living in your own little little football bubble. That's really interesting. And I, I suppose kind of moving on from there, do you mind telling us a bit about your journey into coaching and some of the challenges you faced during that time? Yeah, I mean, just to probably just to finish off on the playing side, I, I, it's probably right for me to mention after my move to Mill um, from Mill to Blackburn that brought another layer of you know I've spoken about it recently about that imposter syndrome about am I good enough to be a Premier League player am I going to fit into this dressing room can I do it at that level am I going to get found out so it took me a good season season and a half to believe that I actually belonged at that level so that's when the stresses and the pressures um and the real mental health issues sort of kicked onto another gear for me. Um, and it's also around the same sort of time that the injuries started to, to rear their ugly head, ranging from ruptured cruciate ligament, which led to chondral defects. So I had a microfracture, had an ankle reconstruction a bit later on at West Brom. So I had, alongside the mental health struggles, the physical injuries were also, were also causing me a big problem. And, I guess that was 
in a way, why I even thought about going down the coaching route, wasn't sure at the time, but I thought, well, I'm injured. I need to do something because there was no guarantee that I was going to get back to that level. Um, so I made good connections when I was playing, got on well with um, Steve Clark and Roy Hodgson when I was at West Brom, who were managers. And when I was coming to the end of my playing career at Burnley, that was when I did discussion with Steve Clark. And I made that decision in probably the December of my last season that that was going to be it. And I was going to pursue that journey into, into the coaching world. That's really interesting. And uh, it's a really interesting point, I think, especially for, for medical and performance practitioners to hear that, you know, something we're probably aware of, but when the kind of mental health side of it was kicking in a little bit more that, you know, some of the injuries and the physical health manifestations were very similar, similar timing and, you know, both kind of potentially going hand in hand or exacerbating one another. I don't know if you want to comment on that. No, I, absolutely. And what was going through my head when you were speaking there was, is what you become as a medic, as a doctor, you become more than just that. You know, you're walking side by side with with your players that I, so I was out for three months with my, I had a pars defect in my lower back. So I was out for a period of time, got back from that first week back, I did my ACL. So I was out for seven months, got back from that for 20 games. And then I was out for 11 months with the chondral defect, the microfracture. So, you you become as a physio as a doctor you become all things really you know it might be a father figure maybe part counselor you might be a friend all of these different um support networks that you sort of become is so important that relationship and i was so lucky during that time that i had unbelievable medical support to get me you know, I used to challenge them, I've got to be honest, but I know Dave Fever spoke about it in, I think, a podcast he'd done in that he, he loved it. He loved kind of players that wanted to be challenged, that wanted to, you know, I remember I grabbed one of the uh, S&C coaches and said, right, this period of time, I'm non-weight bearing on my right leg for two months. Me and you are going to be in the gym nine o'clock every morning for two months working on my left leg because they're was that kind of theory that you get a little bit of overflow into your right leg you know so i was quite active in in looking for that support and i found that i found that they loved it the snc the you know the medical department really loved kind of just being being challenged a little bit being pushed but again it's that it's almost that psychological kind of skills that you need and what you do to support the players on their own journey that's what i've that's what i've personally found it when i had the strong medical demands behind me went so far into me getting back to to fitness quicker that's really interesting to hear and i, I suppose you, you've you've been at a range of of clubs throughout your career and mentioned quite a few injuries there and already kind of touched on this, but what I suppose are some of the best practices from medical practitioners that you've seen in those moments where you've needed the most? You've mentioned kind of being the father figure and different elements. Is there is there kind of things specifically that you can pick out that you you feel would be you know really important for for people who have experienced a lot of players? I'm sure have experienced similar. So one, just from a human point of view, just that empathy. You know, just a, a club doctor that. I could speak freely to, you know, not just about the injury, but just about, 
you know, where I was mentally. So that was almost, always my first port of call when I, I ended up seeing Steve Peters for a period of time when I was at, when I was at Blackburn and that was me going to see Dr. Phil Batty and saying, I really think I need to really need to go and see, see someone. He had presented into the, into the squad, um, which was brilliant. So on the back of that, I went to see the doc, but had that relationship where I felt comfortable to do that. And and it was the same when I went to West Brom and, and had my issues. Uh, Mark Gillette was great at just them one-to-ones in showing that empathy and knowing where I was at physically and almost fighting your corner to get your days where you needed a day in the gym, you know, things like that. But one of, one of the key ones, I think, during my rehab periods was was when the physios and mixed it up. It wasn't just your standard exercises, CV, et cetera, et cetera, daily. It would be mixed up with, luckily, when I was at Blackburn, we had a swimming pool, we had the beautiful countryside, we had facilities there. So it might be a triathlon for the day. So we might go out on the mountain bikes, get back and we're in the pool, got the rower side by side with the pool. You know, it might be at West Brom where the doc gets in Richie Woodall, you know, former British champion or maybe even European boxing champion. You know, just something to stimulate you a little bit, just to keep things fresh and to mix it up so you're not just on the daily daily grind but they also also noticed that the good ones would sort of know when you was in a not a great place and it might be right just just take a few days off or take a week off you know when I was having my issues with some of my serious injuries especially the chondral defects I, I actually had my eight to ten weeks non-weight bearing and then he said a couple of my mates were in Thailand at the time of that, so day fever went, listen, at the end of your period of doing your um, CPM machine and your eight to 10 weeks non-weight bearing, just off you go, just go and just get away. You know, just stuff like that when they can tell that you're going to need a little break. It's not all, that's the thing, it's not all by the book. A lot of it is just that feel and those relationships. That's so interesting. It's a lot of it is that kind of human touch side that you've you've spoken about there, and and really key message that I suppose I've taken out of that is not only the physical stimulus of different activities, but the, the new mental stimulus as well. So, it kind of but that's the same with coaching. And just to say, that's just I find that the same with coaching. You know, your your periodization of your coaching philosophy might mean which usually does mean in the next day after a game and do you warm down the guys that don't play will train but sometimes it just don't work mentally and for the feel of the group sometimes actually the best thing is to have a day or two off away from the training ground clear the head where physically you know it might be a four-day lead-in or a you know no days off in the week just to get you fully prepared but it's (laughs) Sometimes, like I, I just go back to, sometimes it's about the feel, it's about the atmosphere in the in the dressing room, and and what the lads might need just to switch off from switch off from the game. It'd be interesting to get your experience. What did you find some of the challenges moving kind of from club and international football from uh, from some of the bits we've spoken about? Because it'd be interesting to hear from you if you know if you found different changes and again uncertainty with injury communication between medical staff for you in constant communication with with staff yourself it'd be interesting to hear that side of things 
Yeah, I mean that the the major challenge with that is the is the amount you can do is the is the recovery period because more often than not I'm me up ahead of a maybe Wednesday or Thursday international would be the Sunday night, but a lot of the time we might have you know the Celtic boys. It might even be the old firm derby where you've got Ryan Jack from Rangers and you've got, you know, John McLaughlin at Rangers and you've got the Celtic players playing against each other on the Sunday. You might have Andy Robertson playing for Liverpool on the Sunday. So they're recovering Monday, Tuesday. Then you're a match day minus one. Can't do very much before the game on the on the Wednesday or the Thursday. So it's actually how much you can do with the players. But... I always found the dialogue was really good. The club's always really open about sharing sort of data around the the, the training loads of the players. I mean, you'd like to think we was quite sensible as coaches, so we kind of knew about your recovery days and how much the players uh, can do. Um, had a performance. Graham Jones was fantastic with Scotland, so we dealt a lot with the liaison between the between the club and the international team. Uh, he would often go out and visit the players, going into in for club visits and catch up with the players as well. And obviously, if players were injured, we might as coaches obviously check in with those and see how they're getting on. So, I think the main challenge, and they're not your players, so mm. sometimes you just got to be wary of not knowing exactly physically how you're not seeing them every day. You might not know to the exact detail what they're training load or training week looks looks like um so there are a lot of challenges with that a lot of challenges again from a personal point of view and coaching point of view was was the gaps between games it was like a november international then you've got to wait till march to to see the players again so you're hoping they they turn you know turn back up in one piece things changing over a period of time yeah really really interesting I suppose now that we've moved on to the kind of coaching part of your career a little bit more, do you mind just telling us a bit about kind of when you were approaching the end and why you decided to leave coaching and set up on your own? Yeah, I've been thinking about it for a little while. I had a, I had a quite a brief sort of break when I was at Crystal Palace. I stepped away from Crystal Palace in 2018 to take a break, but it didn't last too long. I was toying with the idea of exploring kind of what I'm doing now then but to be totally honest I didn't really have a plan as to what it was going to look like what I was going to do I was still kind of unsure whether I would go back into coaching after that break so I just kind of I don't know what the word I just I think I got a little bit scared with the uncertainty of going into the unknown not sure what it was going to look like so then the phone rings again and you can quickly be back in it, you know, back on the hamster wheel. And then I ended up being kind of back in coaching for, for some time. And I started to explore courses. I'd already got my level two counseling course by that stage. And it's something that I've used personally, something that I believe in and have always wanted to do. And I just felt one, I sort of kind of felt going out at the top as well after a promotion was with Forest was a great way to go out, although I'd been thinking about it for some time. And what I've kind of wanted to do and want to get qualified in, you just simply can't do it when you're in a full-time coaching role. So it was the decision was made to step out of it, sort of 
get qualified in that but in the meantime kind of be a mentor you know crack on with the coaching that I'm doing with individuals and that's with players that's with uh, uh, coaches um, I've gone into a couple of academies to kind of present what the journey could look like you know it's, it's presenting in all honesty a lot of factors that the players are likely going to face on the journey, whether it be injury, whether it be the form, whether it be family pressures, whether it be living away from home, whether it be mm-hmm. performance pressure, whether it is that imposter syndrome when a player gets a move, whether it is, you know, the, I've had episodes of, of panic attacks at different stages in my life, uh, which other players have shared with me since I shared, you know, openly in the media. So, it's just been nice as well to bottom line as well is spend some quality time with the family. Mm. You know, the kids are at an age where I'm still kind of just clinging on to them. They're just starting to get older and starting to do their own thing. And spending four out of the last seven years being away from them, I kind of realized that I don't want to miss out on too much more of that. That's really interesting. You, you, you've touched there and mentioned a bit about kind of the, the pathway into into counselling do you mind telling us a bit about you I mean that part of the journey and a bit more about what what you're you're doing now in your various roles you mentioned going into clubs and some of the other bits and pieces yeah I mean I did I had counselling from quite a young age I think probably 17 had had quite an intense sort of spell for a period of time then um and then it sort of dipped into more sports psychology work through my football career it was only when I left Crystal Palace that sort of I felt like I needed that bit of help again. You know, it's kind of forgetting performance side of things. This was about just some issues that I was kind kind of going through and dealing with all of the, all of the issues that we spoke about. So yeah, work did some did some work on myself then. You know, with a counsellor, and it's just something that. I believe in is something that I've wanted to pursue for quite a while. I've just got this almost a dream of just having little little setup, a little cabin in the garden that can be that kind of safe space when fully qualified for for that side of the work. I think that count the counselling side of of the work's different to the coaching and the mentoring. Mm. You know, the counselling is more, you know, just allowing that safe space for players, for coaches to just get a lot off their chest that they feel because they're in football you know you can't moan about anything you know to many people because a lot of people don't get it um but I'm just enjoying now it's it's more it's a it's a coaching and mentoring sort of service and it's one that again along similar lines for players and coaches to come and share some of the issues they're going with but it's also talking about potential potential plans could be potential life after football what does that look like how can we go about finding out what that does look like whether it's the coaching journey getting your pfa number have you investigated when that coaching when that coaching course might begin it might be something completely away from football you know it might be a coach that's going through similar issues that i've been through in my coaching journey and it's just allowing that space to talk about it and hopefully provide some of the tools that actually did help me in that, just not only 
mental side of it but physically because you often find in coaching as soon as the results dip or as soon as the pressure's on we can come away from all the stuff that we know makes us feel better that helps us on that helps us on, on that journey um so it's been really interesting and the, the presentations as well have i think been really useful to uh to the academy players that i've spoke to on the back of that there's been one or two that have sent whatsapps after just want to pick my brains a little bit more because something's really resonated with them. And I, I think it's just important that what I have said to them when I've delivered is that I never knew any of that stuff, this stuff kind of existed when I was sort of between that 16 to 21 years old. I thought I was the only one experiencing all of these sort of issues that were going on with, with myself. You know, I mean, football, everyone, you know, everyone looks like they're loving it. Everyone looks like they've not got a care in the world. I thought I was the only one carrying a lot of it. So I think it just can be quite comforting for a lot of players just to hear that I've had that journey. I've been through all these issues. You're not, you're not alone. And by the way, even despite having all these challenges and issues, I still played 12 years in the Premier League played in the World Cup, coached in the Euros and coached in the Premier League and coached international football. So the right support and the right help, you know, many think that they can't do it because of this, but it is possible. That's really interesting, really interesting for our listeners to hear. You've spoken kind of really openly there, but also mentioned a lot of really useful tools. Um I mean, you've had a very unique journey in the sense of the playing career, the coaching career and going into the well-being, confidence, leadership and now obviously the counselling studies as well. Would there be, I suppose, any recommendations for clubs, for medical or performance staff, not only in supporting players, but in supporting support staff as well in the game that that you'd recommend? Well, that, that's a big issue for me. I think it's a massive issue because in terms of support networks, I've got a take my hat off to the to the PFA you know some of the work they they do is incredible around support uh, with the counselling obviously got that connection with Sporting Chance that I do some work with um, all sorts coaching badges education support is there but that's for PFA members I always think to myself if I'm a support staff analyst physio masseur chef in a football club I'm not sure where they go to, to be honest. You know, it can be, it's, sometimes it's not really that clear if, you, if you're a player, if you're a coach, but it's the support staff that are doing the hours, often on not great money, that are often living away from their family, dealing with all of those pressures in the, in the high-pressure world. But I think one of the number one things for me is actually you know, being in that good place yourself. Because I often found as a coach, when I was having some struggles, when I was maybe going through a difficult time, you, you can't recognise it in others a lot of the time. You're so caught up in your own little bubble. It's very difficult to recognise it in others. But I think we need to create these environments where it's safe to, effectively, safe to talk about this stuff. You know, it's having people in place that are skilled and can offer that support within the football club across the board, not just, play, I know it's players and it's about winning games, but it is having that open, transparent, 
kind of support and options for anyone within that football club, like employees, whether it is a, you know, meeting at the start of the season to let every employee know if you're having an issue mentally, could be physically or going through a tough time, these are the processes that we've got in place. This is the support network we've got in place. But I think one of the key things for that is it to kind of be external, that it's not going through club, I don't know. Because I just find with sometimes the stigma again, someone in a club is seen to be getting that support sort of within the club or has to go through club channels. There's a fear of how does this look? There's a fear of I'm not going to progress. There's a fear of this might kind of do me harm in my development at the club or on my journey going forward. Um, but it is just finding, I think it's just finding that support network for everyone, all employees throughout the club, because I think at times it is all geared around the players, but I've seen firsthand that there's a lot of there's a lot of staff that are putting a lot of hours that are going through a lot of issues themselves and almost don't know what to do. That's brilliant. Stephen, I can only thank you very, very much for joining us today and sharing a lot of your insight and on a very kind of unique journey, but also a lot of key take-homes, I think, for um for listeners i know primarily a lot of our listeners are medicine and performance staff but also working not only with with players but you know support staff across the board as you mentioned and there's certainly a lot more that we can do in this space i think to support players but also support the support staff trying to tap into you know some of our own education and teaching and also what we could try and put in place to to, to maximize not just the performance of the players really but maximize the performance of um, support staff uh, listeners, we'll put up the links for any uh, articles and web links uh, mentioned on the podcast. If you enjoyed today, please subscribe to the FMPA on our Spotify, SoundCloud or Apple podcast accounts where you can reach all of our podcasts. Alternatively, our podcasts are also available for free via the podcast section of the FMPA website. You've been listening to the Football Medicine and Performance podcast. Have a great day.